Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. For those of you who are new, my name is Roger. I'm the senior pastor here at Life Church. I want to start off by wishing you Happy Easter. He is risen. Amen. If you've been a follower of Jesus for many years, uh, I am sure you have experienced his resurrection power. The power to save and transform lives. Um, I am personally here today because of that resurrection power. He pulled me out of the pit. He gave me hope. He gave me a new identity. He gave me a family, a new purpose. He gave me a calling in the kingdom of God. My wife will tell you, when she and I first met, I was a scoundrel. Pretty sure her dad thought that she could do better. Since I follow Jesus, though, I have seen that he is the God of resurrection, of transformation, of miracles. I have seen people coming out of addictions. I have seen people healed. I have seen God soften hardened hearts. I have seen him bring about reconciliation, forgiveness. Um, And I have seen him bring joy and beauty where before there was nothing but ashes. I have even had friends, good friends, go from felon to friends of Jesus, from prisoner to pastor. Sometimes we forget, though, that all across the world, people from all kinds of different backgrounds and cultures, even people who profess to be Christians, um, they go about their daily lives without knowing or personally experiencing what we are celebrating this very morning, the risen Jesus, his resurrection power and the power of the Holy Spirit. Even here in Fergus Falls and the surrounding communities, uh, we live among friends, among family, among co-workers who have not or who are are not experiencing that transforming power. Um, It is the power to fundamentally change lives. It's the power to bring healing and hope and freedom, a new identity, a calling in the kingdom of God. Everywhere we look, though, these days, uh, we see a lot of people who are hurting or lonely or they're filled with anxiety or fear. Um, Some feel empty, depressed, and they're like, what's the point? But thankfully, God is on mission to do something about it. Since the dawn of humanity, the mission of God, or uh, as it's sometimes called in the Latin, the missio dei, has always been to have his people in his place for his glory. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the grand and beautiful story of God accomplishing his mission of drawing people from all tribes, tongues, and nations to himself. This mission, which is pointed to in every book of the Bible, it culminates in the very coming of Jesus Christ who lived perfectly, he died horrifically, but he rose again on Easter morning victoriously. But what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for us 
today. In Philippians, Paul talks about his desire to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He isn't talking, um, he isn't asking God for like more theoretical knowledge about the resurrection of Jesus. He isn't saying, Lord, explain to me how you pulled it off. Um, He's asking God if he personally could experience the very supernatural power of the resurrection. Um, That personal, he could personally experience the power exerted by the Holy Spirit that prevented the decomposition of Jesus' body. The very same supernatural power that brought Jesus back to life. This resurrection power that indwells every born-again believer is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to the right hand of the Father. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that very power that raised Jesus from the dead abides and dwells within you. So that you might transcend your limitations right, of your finite existence and perform supernatural works like Jesus did. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So this resurrection power didn't leave when Jesus ascended to heaven. The power didn't leave, and neither did his mission. Jesus had risen from the dead after being executed on a cross, and over the course of 40 days, uh, Jesus physically appeared to several disciples, proving to them that he was still alive. On the last day Jesus spent on this earth, Before he ascended into heaven, Jesus called his disciples into the greatest mission of all time. What was that mission? That they would receive power from the Holy Spirit to enable them to tell and show everyone on the planet Jesus, right? His love, his mercy, his compassion, and his power. Power over sin, over sickness, over evil, and over death itself. That we would proclaim and demonstrate the good news of the gospel to a world who has no hope. God's heart is that people from every nation, from every language, and every culture would be brought back into a relationship with him through Christ. Um, We're going to spend today and the next six weeks going through the first four chapters of the book of Acts, um, which introduces the story of Jesus continuing his mission from heaven through the formation of his church. Um, In Acts, Jesus takes a small group of disciples who were living in a really hostile, pluralistic society, right? Different ethnic groups, uh, different religions, different political beliefs, Sound familiar? He starts in Acts with about 120 disciples and begins to turn the world upside down through the power of the Spirit and through the formation of a missional, Spirit-filled church. 
Now, we'll be unpacking what that phrase means, missional, spirit-filled church, over the course of this series. So the longer name of the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, but really it could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, And really, if there's a central thesis to the book of Acts, um, I would say it is the final words of Jesus to his disciples in Acts 1.8, which says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they received power from the Holy Spirit. We know his disciples were already saved. right? They were already Christians. And according to John 20... Verse 21 and 22, they had already received the Holy Spirit. It says, again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But Jesus told them to wait until they received power from the Holy Spirit. That power, Jesus says in Acts 1.8, will have a purpose, and that purpose is to display Christ to a lost world. Um, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So they had all the information about Jesus um, to tell the world, but Jesus knew that what they needed was power from God, right, to impact the world with the saving message of Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, wait. We'll talk more about Pentecost uh, in a couple of weeks when we get to Acts 2, but I want to briefly touch on it for a moment. Jesus said the purpose of the power was to empower them to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Um, that purpose is reinforced in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of, the, of Pentecost. What is significant that the Spirit poured out on the day of Pentecost? So Pentecost comes from the Greek, uh, Pentecoste, uh, meaning 50th day, 50th day. Um, Counting from the second day of Passover, the Jews waited seven full weeks, 49 days, um, and then on the 50th day, they celebrated Pentecost, or what Exodus calls the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of First Fruits. Um, what happened to each Pentecost is that people from all different regions and countries from around the world came to Jerusalem to celebrate. Right? So it was the one time of the year when people from all over the world were gathered in one place. It was kind of like an inverted van- evangelism. Right? Instead of going out to the world, the world came to them. So the Holy Spirit poured out on the church at Pentecost because the primary overarching purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit was to reach lost people for the kingdom of God. That is still God's heart today. There is a harvest waiting to be gathered for the kingdom of God. Um, It is fascinating And it is so revealing of God's heart for all the nations that on that day, there were people there from all over the world. That that is God's heart 
Jesus wasn't content to say, uh, wait for power to beat my witnesses throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and throughout all of Israel. That would have been what most Jews would have expected. Right? Love your city, love your people, transform your nation for Jesus. Right? That would have been about as far as the average Jew's vision would have extended. Jesus' vision, God's vision, extended way further than the nation of Israel. So in Acts 1.8, Jesus includes Samaria, uh, a people group the Jews hated, and the, and the Samaritans hated the Jews right back. So right away we see Jesus breaking down racial and cultural barriers, right away. Same thing with the Great Commission, right? Go make disciples of all nations. The purpose of the Spirit's power is, to, is still to reach lost people for the whole, from the whole earth for the kingdom of God. Right? That's not the only purpose, but it certainly is at the center of God's heart to rescue and bring freedom and hope to people who feel like they have none. So let's look at the impact the Spirit's power had on the church, right? Because that room of 120 disciples or so would never be the same after Pentecost. Um, again, I want to just comment briefly on this event since we're going to get, up to, get to it in a couple weeks. But it says in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So as these disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, they see and they hear extraordinary things, amazing things. I won't get into the details of that yet, but I do want to make this observation. Being the limited, finite creatures that we are, we have a tendency when we've seen God move in a certain way to assume that he always moves in those ways, right? I've seen this over and over again. Uh, in my 19 years of ministry. Um, people who have seen or experienced God moving in a certain way, assuming that that is the normative way in which God always moves. Right? We want to be careful that we don't try to put the Holy Spirit in a box right? and say, well, this is what I've seen, um, so this is what it looks like when the Spirit moves. I mean, just looking at the book of Acts alone, we see him moving in so many different ways, right? Sometimes rushing wind, uh, sometimes shaking a home, sometimes healing a person, sometimes empowering the preaching of the gospel, um, sometimes releasing a disciple from prison, sometimes giving the disciple grace to even be in prison, even to the point of death. With the Holy Spirit, there can be no formula, there can be no box, right? God will continue to surprise us till the end of eternity with how he moves. Another observation. 
So one of the keys to the spirit and the mission of the church is that we are to continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Um, And the original Greek here, I'll get a little technical here, is in the present imperative tense, uh, meaning a continuous replenishment. Um, going on, go on being filled over and over and over again with the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, for one, we leak. <laughs> right? You ever been at like a, I don't know, a worship con- concert or something and, and you're just like, you're just in the zone and then 15 minutes after you left, you're like yelling at your kids, you know. <laughs> we leak. Right? We need more and more of his presence. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Also, uh, the Holy Spirit is God, right? So when the Holy Spirit fills us, he fills us with the fullness of God. The Holy Spirit fills us with knowledge of God, fills us with his love, with his glory, with his power, with his goodness. Um, The Spirit fills our hearts with the Father's love for Jesus. We're filled with faith in what God can do. Um, As lesser things are swallowed up by the greatness and glory of God. When we're filled with the Spirit, those gaps in us get filled, right? Gaps of emptiness are filled with overflowing meaningfulness and purpose, Gaps of loneliness are filled with the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. When we're filled with the Spirit, we can't be filled with fear. When we're filled with the Spirit, we can't be filled with anger. We can't be filled with the Spirit and continue to be bitter or have unforgiveness or lust or pride. Nothing will push pride out of our hearts faster than a glimpse of the greatness of God. We can't be filled with self and filled with the Spirit at the same time. Can't happen. The Holy Spirit fills the gaps in our hearts and presses out the junk from our hearts. So Acts 1.8, I want to unpack that a little bit, um, I believe should actually be a rhythm that we practice individually as disciples of Jesus and collectively as his body, the body of, of Christ, his church. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's breathe in. Breathe out. Repeat. Breathe in. Breathe out. We do it individually, and we do it collectively as a church. Other language that's sometimes used to describe this is renewal, outreach. Worship, ministry. Discipleship, evangelism, right? But it's essentially learning to minister out of the overflow of God's presence in our lives. He's the vine, 
we're the branches. He's our daily bread, right? We can neither just breathe in or just breathe out and remain healthy. We need to have rhythms of both in our life and in the life of the church. Okay? Jesus modeled these rhythms. Right? He spent time breathing in, right? prayer, the word, solitude. You know, Oh, where's Jesus? Oh, he's over behind that hill over there. Okay? Breathing in. And he spent time breathing out, teaching, preaching, serving. Right? We need both. I have encountered some Christians, um, all they were focused on was breathing in, like constipated Christians. Everything just goes in, nothing goes out, okay? If they're evangelicals, uh, they're typically focused on uh, learning and learning some more and learning more. And I'm going to take this class, I'm going to take this class, I'm going to take this class. Not against learning. I love learning. Um, if they are charismatics, they tend to be more focused on experiencing more. I want to experience this. I want to experience that. I'm going to go to this conference. I'm going to go to that conference. I want to, I want to see more miracles. I want to see more healing. I want to experience more of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. All of that is great. It's wonderful. I have encountered Christians who are all focused on breathing out exclusively. Right? Outreach, food pantries, prison ministry, 12-step programs. Uh, maybe it's missions, orphans, homeless. We need to breathe out. Absolutely essential. But both are important. Both. Right? The former gives us the ability to do the latter. To be healthy, we have to breathe in and we have to breathe out. We need to breathe in God's word and God's spirit and we need to go make disciples. Okay? We need to be in God's presence. Right? Nothing transforms like God's presence. Right? Worshiping our guts out. Privately and corporately. Right? And then we need to go breathe out. We need to find ways to show God's love to the lost, the last, and the least. So again, the Holy Spirit's primary purpose for giving the church power is to reach lost people for the kingdom of God. It is not to make a great church service. It's not just for us. We see this right here in the first chapter of Acts. The disciples, they were comfortable in that upper room, right? 120 close friends, all sharing history, sharing probably sweet memories of following Jesus, all energized by the resurrection of Jesus, all unified in prayer and worship and Bible teaching. I'm sure the upper room was sweet. And it was where Jesus wanted them until the power of the Holy Spirit fell. And I'm at first, I'm, I'm sure it was wonderful. It was heavenly. Then things got pressed outward, right? So that more could experience salvation and the Spirit's power. It's probably similar to what it must feel like for a baby to be born. Okay? It's all warm, 
and cozy in the womb. And you're right in the center of warmth and comfort. And then all of a sudden, whammo! <laughs> right? All kinds of lights and sounds and crying. That's the way it's supposed to be. We go from the sweetest experience of the Spirit's presence to whammo! God says, go, 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 go. Go be my witnesses. Go make disciples. Go show God's love to that person and this person and that person. But wait, I don't want to leave. I want to stay here. I want to enjoy the presence. I don't want this to stop. And Jesus says, go be my witnesses. Go make disciples. Go make some non-Christian friends. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. Back in uh, 2014, uh, when I was on staff at my last church, which is a, a large church in Kansas City, Missouri, um, we took our executive team. It was myself, two other executive pastors, and our senior pastor, uh, four of us, to uh, Rick Warren's church, uh, Saddleback, out in California for a week so that we could learn from him, uh, learn from his staff about a lot of things, but including like how to do a church-wide small group campaign. Um, he probably like, wouldn't remember me from Adam, but uh, here's a picture of the two of us. Oh, I was a little heavier back then. And uh, here's a picture of me parking in Rick's parking spot. I can be a little ornery at times. I saw that and I'm like, I'm ticking his spot. That's why I parked in it. And that was his wife's spot right next to it. Okay, yeah. So, a little, little insight into my personality. <laughs> I didn't get in trouble. <laughs> so, so I'm a, I'm a spirit-filled guy. And I, I come out of the vineyard movement. Um, but I also went to a Southern Baptist seminary. Um, which is what Rick is, Southern Baptist. So I'm sure you've, you've either read or you've at least heard of this book that uh, Rick Warren wrote called The Purpose Driven Life. Um, I love the first line in the book. Anyone know what it is? Yeah. It's not about you. That's the first line in his book. It's not about you. So while Bible-believing Christians all around the world know this is true, uh, we sometimes have to be reminded of that fact so we can refocus our thinking to be more outward-focused than inward-focused. The church is beginning to realize um, that reaching the world for Christ means this sobering fact. It's not about us. It's about them. William Temple, who was an English Anglican priest, he died in 1944, um, served as the Bishop of Manchester, Archbishop of York, and Archbishop of Canterbury. He famously said the following, the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. 
Church culture many times focuses more on what's going inside, going on inside its four walls rather than what's going on outside in the community and beyond. Pastor and author Dan Ryland says, all churches drift inward without the intentional effort to keep an outward focus on those who are far from God. So I did a search on, uh, all those of you who are new, I'm kind of a nerd at heart, so I like numbers and stuff. Some of my favorite classes in school were math, and some of you can relate, some can't. But I did a search on citydata.com. I was looking at, uh, I, wanted, I was curious to see like how many people there are to reach for Jesus in Ottertail County. Um, I didn't want to just limit it to Fergus Falls. I wanted to kind of get a sense of the percentages for the surrounding community. Um, the most current data I could find was from 2010, so this, this could have changed. If it has, it's probably gotten worse. Um, but here's what I found. They'll put a slide up. Uh, the interesting thing here is, like, we won't debate, like, whether or not someone's actually saved or not. Let's just look at that none number. 16,704, that's 29.2% of Ottertail County, professes no faith. There's a lot of people who need Jesus just right around us. A lot. And I think it grieves the heart of God when we don't, cap, we don't have his sense of urgency for reaching those people. One of the questions we need to continually ask ourselves is not just who is here, but who's not here. I had a mentor once tell me that one of the most important voices we need to listen to when we're making decisions in church, um, is the person who is not in the room. The people we're trying to reach with the love of Christ, with the good news of the gospel, right? How can we listen to the voices of those people and new people rather than just the loudest voices who always speak up? How can we begin offering programs and ministries to meet the actual needs that are in our community and not just continue offering like legacy programs that worked 10, 15 years ago. How can we begin shifting resources from programs inside the church to supporting programs and organizations who serve our community? In other words, how can we capture God's heart for this city and the surrounding communities and show God's love, his spirit-empowered love, to those who need it most? Practically, like how can we start running all of our language, our announcements, our communication through like a new people filter? I know I can use help in this department. And know this, there's only a finite amount of resources, right? People and money, right? So what inward focused things can we stop doing so we can repurpose that time to be involved in our community? So, so here's a classic example of how it's not about me plays out in church, okay? If you're relatively new here, you, you may not know that uh, before I was in ministry, 
I was an opera singer. Um, so through college and grad school, when I was studying music, um, before I was called into ministry, I worked, like paid, at traditional churches, either as a soloist, a section leader, or a choir director. Okay. Uh, now, I love the worship music here. I do. But many times, um, at home, I personally worship to classical, sacred music. Choirs, organs, symphonies, Bach, Handel, Mozart, Beethoven. Now, I'm the senior pastor here. If I wanted to, I could start throwing my weight around and start shifting our worship to more of that kind of music, and I'm sure Nicholas would love it. But it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about the spirit and the mission of his church. It's about being empowered to go make disciples. It's not about my preference. Um, I have served in, as, as a pastor in churches for 19 years now. Um, all of them had worship with loud guitars, like loud electric guitars, louder drummers, uh, lights, like lights going around like this, sometimes smoke, okay? You know what the, the, some of the most common complaints that I've heard over the years are? You know this. Music's too loud. Why is the room so dark? Uh, what's with the lights moving all around? Is this a rock concert or what? Okay. Now, to be honest with you, um, I responded the very same way when I first encountered this kind of worship. That was me. That, and I couldn't turn off my musically trained critical ear. Okay? Oh, singer's flat. Drummer's a little bit behind the beat. Um, ooh, those harmonies aren't quite right. But you know what? I have seen hundreds of people over the years experience the Spirit of God through this kind of worship. I've seen the Spirit of God get a hold of people through this kind of worship far quicker than through my preaching. Right? When the music is more contemporary to the culture, um, when the room is somewhat darker and the music is a bit louder so that people are less self-conscious about how they look or how they sound, right? These songs that we're singing often speak to the very depths of our souls. They're often in the first person, right? They give a person words to express to the Lord, and the Spirit of God meets them right there, right? I've seen them. Sometimes they'll start weeping, start raising their hands a little bit, whatever but they begin to surrender themselves in worship as they experience the Spirit of God. It's a beautiful thing. And frankly, I'm just being honest, I never saw that happen back in my choir and organ days. Never did. But man, I could always count on people coming up to me after the service complimenting me on my singing. 
Does that ever happen when I sing this kind of like loud rock worship music? Never. Never. For one, I don't sound good singing this kind of music. And two, uh, it's, it's loud enough nobody can hear me. Right? And you know what? It is not about me. It's about the spirit and the mission of the church. The primary overarching purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is to reach lost people for the kingdom of God. So maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you're fired up and you're asking, like, what can we do to make this happen? How can we reach more and more people for Christ? Uh, What program can we start? What strategy can we come up with? Um, Maybe the Lord will give us a strategy. I'm not against strategies. Um, He can do that. But Jesus didn't say, wait in Jerusalem until I give you a strategy to reach the world. He said, wait for power. And that power hit them, filled them, and sent them. Breathe in, breathe out. Filled, sent. Okay. Peter and John over here. Right. Philip over there. Andrew, Nathaniel, they're over there. Somewhere off there, Stephen. Way over here, Paul. Right. And so on, and so on, and so on. Filled, sent. Breathe in, breathe out. Here's what I think is the most effective church strategy today. It is for each of us to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, to empower us, and then show us who he's sending us to. Like, who needs prayer? Who needs mercy, compassion? Who needs to be shown Jesus' love in practical ways? Who needs prayer for healing? Who needs a word from the Lord? Who can I share my testimony with? Who can I encourage? Who can I share Jesus with? The Holy Spirit will show you. That's what he does. That's what he does. The Spirit empowers us to love. So we can breathe in and breathe out. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your mercy, for your grace. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross at Calvary. Thank you that on the third day you rose again. Thank you that you are seated at the right hand of the Father and that you are coming again to judge the living and the dead. Lord, we pray for more of your resurrection power for us personally and for Life Church. Pray, come. Holy Spirit, we need more of you. Empower us to show your love to those who need it most. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.